Welcome back to the Community Online Podcast. This week, we're joined by Community Pastor Ted Canaris as we conclude this series, This is the Way. If you're new, we'd love to learn your name. Simply text CONNECT to 630-793-6399 and we'll send you more information about community. Remember, you can always find us on Sundays streaming live at communityonline.tv. We hope to see you there. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Have you or someone that you know ever pulled off one of those like imposter pranks where they pretend to be somebody or something that they're not in order to gain access to something? Well, one of my favorite imposter pranks of all time was done by a guy named Danny Foley. Have any of you ever heard of Danny Foley or about this story? Well, Danny, if you're watching, you've officially made legend status with this prank. Well, it turns out Danny was a student at the University of Virginia. And he wanted to find a way to get on the court for the championship game between Virginia and Duke. And he noticed that all the assistant coaches who were kind of sitting at the end of the bench were wearing the same suit and the same bright orange yellow tie at every single game. And so what he did is he went to Walmart, spent a few bucks, found the exact suit, the exact tie, and wore it to the game. He bought some nosebleed, $30 tickets way up on the top level. And then during one of the TV timeouts, he made his move. Then he worked his way down to the bottom of the auditorium, right by the court. He gave one of those, I'm just headed back to my seat waves to the usher and went right to the bench and sat with the Virginia team players and coaches. In fact, here's a picture of Danny Foley right here standing as the next play was being drawn up. Even better, after Virginia won the championship, Danny joined the line shaking hands with everybody after the game was over. And we have a picture of him shaking hands with the legendary Duke coach, Coach K. There's even photos of Danny wearing one of those like championship t-shirts as the confetti's falling from the, ce- from the ceiling, giving everybody high fives. I mean, this was a legendary prank, right? But as what happens with pranks like this, he was eventually found out. One of the assistant coaches noticed him, kind of chased him off, and he disappeared into the crowd. But isn't it true that reality always has a way of catching up with us? I mean, it's not just with a gutsy prank like this. It's with all parts of our life. And actually, the truth is, right? You can't fake your way onto a college basketball team and you can't fake your way into the kingdom of God either. And this is exactly the warning that Jesus is going to bring us in our passage from today in the Sermon on the Mount. Today, we're in our final week in this series called This is the Way, looking at the Sermon on the Mount, the incredible message of Jesus about the incredible way of Jesus. But before we dive into these stories for today, let's take a minute to kind of remember where we've been. First, we talked about how the way is actually a person. Jesus is the way. Jesus is 
the king and finding our way back to God has everything to do with declaring our allegiance to him as the king and the way. But we also find in this sermon that the way, the way of the kingdom is a new way of living, a new way to do life in the way of Jesus. See, Jesus' followers are to reorient every part of their life to center them on Jesus as the leader of their life. And in the Sermon on the Mount, in Jesus' teaching, we learn exactly how to live this life and what this life looks like. He gives us a radically different picture of what it looks like to be blessed in this world. He paints a picture for us of his radical way of love. He paints a picture for us of, of what it looks like to have intimacy with God, to find our significance and our identity with him. He tells us how we can disentangle ourselves from the trappings of wealth and possessions, which really brings us to today. Today, we're gonna to be looking at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. And the conclusion really comes in three parts. It's like three conclusions that come in rapid succession. It's almost like you're driving down a highway and you see three sort of warning signs coming at you as you zoom by. And as a warning about talking, walking, and building. So let's look at this first one about walking. And let me warn you, Jesus is blunt, he's straightforward, and he speaks with the authority of a king. But if we're serious about following Jesus, we need to take his words to heart and apply them to our daily lives. So let's take a look at conclusion number one, the first of three warnings, a caution to pay attention of where we're walking. Jesus says this, he says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few will find it. In this first warning, Jesus is warning us, encouraging us to be some of the few who enter through the narrow gate. So what is the gate? How do we enter it? Well, that's a great question. The answer is actually very simple. Jesus is the gate. Actually, in John's gospel, he records Jesus as saying this. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Remember, Jesus is the way. He is the king. And entering through the gate of Jesus is, is not just about acknowledging the reality of Jesus, that he existed, right? It's so much more than that. Remember, it's about declaring our allegiance to him as king. It's about making a radical commitment to having Jesus at the center of our life and to actually follow him in his radical new way of life. And sadly, Jesus tells us that most people won't make this choice. Most people are gonna to choose to walk the road that leads to destruction. See, choosing Jesus, choosing the narrow gate requires intentionality. And unfortunately, I think in today's culture of, of distraction and the quick fix, I think it's so easy for us to just sort of go with the flow when it comes to the most important questions of life. But Jesus' warning here is warning us that we, we can't allow the crowd or the path of least resistance to determine where we're going to go or how we're going to get there. We can't just let the current 
of our culture. We can't just let the pull of approval, we can't let the lies of leisure dictate where we're going or how we're gonna do it. If we're gonna take the narrow path, if we're gonna follow Jesus, we can't just drift. It might seem easy now, but the wide road leads to destruction. I mean, think about it. If we find ourselves just simply caught up in the current or caught up in the flow of our culture, are we really following Jesus at all? And to enter through the narrow gate, to follow Jesus takes intentionality. And this intentional living will lead us to make some difficult choices sometimes. It will lead us to move against the current. It will lead us to move against the culture. So as you take a moment to maybe stop and pause and reflect, to maybe even just look at your feet and consider, do you find yourself walking on the narrow path of Jesus or on the wide path that leads to destruction? Now, before we go any further, let me remind you of the good news here. While following Jesus does require some intentionality on our part, we're not saved by our intentionality. We're saved by grace. We're saved by the intentionality and the effort that Jesus gave in his life and his death and his resurrection on our behalf. We're not dependent on our successes and we don't fall with our failures. And more good news, if you realize today as you reflect that you're just going with the flow, that you're not going in the way of Jesus, you're not on the narrow road, well, you're never more than just one step away from being back on that narrow path. And that one step is repentance. See, repentance is simply changing direction. Instead of walking down the wide path, you make the step towards Jesus to repent, to turn towards him and to walk in his way. Our prayer is that all of us here would heed this warning of Jesus. We would walk the narrow path, that we would follow him on the road that leads to life to the full as we were all meant to experience it. So Jesus' first conclusion is about walking. His second conclusion is about talking. Now remember when I said Jesus is gonna be blunt and straightforward? Well, here he really speaks with the authority of a king. Let's read this together. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This second warning, I think is perhaps the most alarming of the three. Jesus is essentially saying here that there are many Many who will say to him, Lord, Lord, who are actually not genuine followers of Jesus. In my experience, I think there are typically a couple different reactions to this reality. First, I think we have our cynics, right? The cynics are those who, who want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, who want to believe that the whole of the church is a fraud because of a few the hypocrites. And then you have the perfectionists, right? The perfectionists among us are the ones who go into a tailspin of fear or insecurity or, or imposter syndrome, thinking that they are the fraud, despite 
their best efforts. I think what Jesus is saying here is that he isn't fooled by our moral or by our verbal sort of sleight of hand. In fact, in 1 Samuel 16, 7, we're told that God operates in a very different way. The prophet Samuel sent out to find the next king of Israel, and he picks David, who was this nobody young kid who was out tending sheep in the middle of nowhere. But when he picks David, he tells us something very interesting about God. He says this, he says, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord, the Lord looks at the heart. Jesus is saying we shouldn't be surprised when we come across somebody who looked one way, but then we later find out that they are something entirely different. He's saying instead of focusing on the mere appearance of good, we as followers of Jesus need to focus on the daily, hourly, and minute-by-minute work of actually following Jesus. Remember, following Jesus down the narrow path requires intentionality. And following Jesus down the narrow path also requires integrity. Integrity, being real, being true, the state of being whole or undivided. Having integrity as we follow Jesus is a state where our words, where our deeds and our heart are all aligned and oriented towards Jesus and his kingdom. Now, The amazing thing about God's grace is that he doesn't call perfect people. I know that when I hear that, I can be overwhelmed because I know I can be disjointed at times. But thankfully, God doesn't call only perfect people to follow him. In fact, remember David, that nobody who was handpicked by God to be the leader of Israel? He made huge mistakes, giant mistakes, probably way bigger mistakes than any of you have ever made. But you know what he did? He acknowledged those mistakes. He repented of those mistakes. He came clean with God. He received forgiveness. He was restored and he was used by God to do great things. That's grace. That is grace. Unmerited, undeserved forgiveness, love, and favor that God gives us. So if you find yourself today struggling to follow Jesus You do not need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid that you are the imposter. We are just broken human beings like everyone else. The imposters that Jesus is warning us about here are the ones who who say all the right things, who show up to all the right places, but have never truly given over their full allegiance to King Jesus. Unfortunately, like Jesus says here, there will be some people even great leaders who will do good and even great things in the name of Jesus, who will later find out weren't exactly what they said they were. I mean, I wish it wasn't true, but I bet all of us can think of different stories where we've encountered people like this or where we've encountered or heard stories like this. And it can be discouraging. But Jesus warns us about it here in the Sermon on the Mount. And he tells us that in the end, All that matters is your relationship with Jesus. Do you really know him? Do you really love him? Have you really given him your allegiance? And does he know you? Conclusion number three, building. And then the final conclusion, Jesus sort of brings all of this together 
for us to help us really understand what this looks like in our life and why he's saying it. He gives us this parable about building. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose up, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. See, Jesus paints a starkly contrasting picture of two very different responses to his sermon here. Response number one, we can put Jesus's words into practice. Response number two, we don't. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that when you look at this parable, both houses look very similar at the beginning. In fact, it can be hard to distinguish it, right? It can be hard to distinguish maybe what our life might look like next to someone else's. There are things that we can't see, things that are beneath the surface, that when the storm comes, that difference will be revealed. When the pressure is applied, what was hidden beneath the surface will be plain for all to see. The strength of the foundation will be exposed. The house built on Jesus's way, the house built on his kingdom is the house that's built on bedrock that cannot be shaken. The house that's not built on that is the house that's built on sand, the house that is in danger of the great crash. You see, either in life or in death, all of us, every one of us, will eventually face a time where the true nature of our foundation will be revealed. For some, Some of us, we're not going to face that kind of test until the end of our life, when everything, no matter who we are and what we have, is stripped away. Others of us will face trials and crisis in our lifetime that will shake our very foundation. In fact, I know that there are some of you who are watching this right now who you feel like your life is laying in ruins all around you. The great crash has already occurred. There are others of you watching right now who feel like your foundation is in the midst of being shaken by the struggles, by the challenges, by the crisis that you find yourself in. But no matter where you are and no matter who you are, I don't want you to miss the hope in these words. What Jesus says is true and needs to be heeded, but is also giving us hope that no matter what, if your house has already crashed or if you're in the midst of being shaken, you can come back to Jesus. You can give your life to him as king and you can rebuild. You can rebuild on the rock and you can have a foundation that can never be shaken, a foundation that can never be taken away. It's one thing to hear the words of Jesus. It's a completely different thing to actually put it into practice. See, in this sermon, Jesus, the king of the universe, has come to us and he's telling us how to live as life was created to be lived, how to live life to the full as he meant 
for us to live. But what I find so interesting here is that he doesn't force his will on us. He doesn't make us obey. He presents us with a choice. He gives you and he gives me a choice. We can be mere hearers of the words or we can put it into practice. We can be imposters or we can walk with integrity as his followers. We can be the one who builds on shifting sand or we can be the one who builds on the bedrock of Jesus Christ. So as we conclude this series, we're left with a very simple question that I think will have profound impact on your life. Jesus is asking, will you follow me? Will you follow me? My prayer is that every one of us will walk away from today with the next step in the way of Jesus. In fact, I want us to get really practical. I don't want us just to hear these words of Jesus. I want us to actually do them. So remember earlier when we asked you to grab a piece of paper and a pen? I want you to pull that out right now. And what we're gonna do is actually take a minute, hear from God a next step, write it down and do it. So I want you to take that paper and just draw a simple cross on it and maybe a crown, sorry, I'm no artist. You can draw something like this. And right now, I want you to sort of quiet whatever is going on around you, to open your heart and your mind to the Spirit of God and to ask Him, what next step can I take in your way? Maybe it's a step of disentangling yourself from wealth and possessions. Maybe it's in pursuing intimacy with God through a particular spiritual practice. Maybe it's, it's following Jesus in his radical way of love in, in a particular relationship that might be giving you a lot of stress or anxiety right now. Maybe it's just changing your way of thinking about, about what it means to be really blessed in this world. Maybe for some of you, today is the day where you want to give your allegiance to Jesus as King, where you want to take that practical next step and say, you know what? I need to get baptized. I need to go public with my allegiance to the one true King. What is it for you? What is your next step with Jesus? Take a moment now, grab your pen, your cross and your crown, and write down at the foot of the cross, what's your next step? Would you join me in doing that now? Jesus asked us, will you follow me? When those who were there on that day, when Jesus gave this great sermon on the Mount, when he'd finished, they were astonished by what they had just heard. In fact, at the end of Matthew's account of this passage, he says this, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. See, Jesus taught with authority because he has the ultimate authority. He is the king. And here's the amazing thing. This 
king is giving you and I an invitation to be with him, to be partners with him in his kingdom work, to be on his team. He wants us to get in the game. We don't need to hide at the end of the bench with our cheap Walmart tie, hoping that nobody notices us. We are the adopted sons and daughters of the king. And he's telling you, he's telling me to follow him in the way. And he will never leave you or forsake you. He loves you and he's with you forever and always. I love the way that Sky Jathani poses uh, this statement at the end of his book about the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, imagine, imagine how your life would be different if you took him, Jesus, at his word. And imagine how our world would be different if those who claim to follow Jesus actually did. Whoa, that is heavy. That is powerful. Imagine your life. Imagine our world. So take a step. Take a step towards Jesus and then take another and then take another and then take another. And when you do, you'll discover that this is the way. 